Good morning, church. There is no other name. Mountains bow down as we lift him up. There is no other name. Jesus, man. Thank you, Pastor Brian and your team for leading us in worship. There is no other name. What a great time we had last night at our annual, now, what's this, like the 10th one or something? Ninth? Chili cook-off. Goodness gracious, was there a lot of chili? Was there a lot of folk out there? And a lot of dessert? And from what I understand, a lot of money was raised to go towards our youth camps this summer. So thank you all who donated Way to go to the children and the youth. They led that endeavor. Way to, we have children, or teenagers, excuse me, they wouldn't like that, that lead in our church. Are y'all getting that? They lead. What a powerful thing. Thank you all for being here this morning. I'm Pastor Jay. Pastor Ryan is at one of our pillar churches. I believe it's Pocosin this morning preaching The word of God, praise God, that we have a good network of good churches that we fellowship with. And they've invited him to come out and preach this morning. And I have the privilege of being with you all here. As we were at the chili cook-off last night, I was watching all the children. Praise God for a church full of children. And um, it just touched my heart to see, like, the moms holding the babies, and um, it made me reflect back to when, I want to say my first was born, and, uh, you know, she came out her mom, I'm not going to go into details about how that works, <laughs> but she, like, the one thing that I remember is that she, Rakisha wanted her, like, right away, like, right away, and so she wanted, like, to hold her, right, and I guess skin to skin is a big deal. But she wanted her, and just watching her and her mama, it was so natural. Are y'all with me? The mother and the child's love was such a natural thing. Um, I'm reminded of in California, I spent some time out there in the mountains, and I would see I saw a bald eagle for the first time in, like, the wild, which blew my mind. I guess we have some out here, too, but it's, you know, it's California, so it's mountains, and it's prettier a little bit. But the eagle, well, there's mountains out there. They don't, you don't have mountains here. That's the difference. That's all. The water's beautiful. We got California's got The eagle, as it's in its natural environment in California, I saw this eagle, like, soaring through the sky, right? It took to the air so naturally, it just caused me to stop and worship for a second. When we were in Jamaica, I remember snorkeling and seeing um, like the fish around the coral. For them, it was so natural just to to go on and, and fish you know, do fish stuff. You understand what I'm saying? There, there is a natural order of things in God's created world. A very natural order of things in God's created world. 
when God created the world, he created Adam and Eve. And it was very natural for them not only to first love him, but then for them to love each other. Are y'all with me? It's a very natural part of how God created us to love him and love each other. And unfortunately, when we read in Genesis 3, we see that there was a break in the natural order of things when sin entered the garden. And then long after, or not long after, we see Cain as he slays his brother in cold blood. There is a departure from the natural order of loving God and loving each other. But never ceased to exist. The natural intent never stopped even though sin came into the garden. And we're going to talk a little bit about how God created us. Love him and to love each other. It is his natural way by which we are to live. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Mark chapter 12 as we continue through our series on Mark. Specifically, we're in verses 28 through 34. What we're going to look at here in a second is one of the most popular, perhaps the most popular verse in the Bible that's known by the public. It is the greatest commandment. If you have your Bibles and you have it open to Mark chapter 12, please stand with me as I begin to read. Beginning in verse 28, we'll read all the way down through verse 34. And the word of God reads, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let us pray. Father God, we stand before you this morning in gratitude. We lift up your name as you are a mighty God and we are your people. I pray that you will be with us during our time. Hide me behind this pulpit. Let your spirit 
speak clearly. Remove any distractions from us, Lord. Open our hearts as only your Holy Spirit can do to receive your word. Be with us this morning as we proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Our title for today is pretty simple. It's the greatest commandment. And if there's one thing I could leave you with today is to know this. Our main idea is to love God is to obey. And to obey is submit one's life completely to him. To love God is to obey. And to obey is to submit one's life completely to him. I figured that I would attack this passage in four sections, or at least from this approach. There are four natural progressions in the text. There's the context that we'll see here shortly. According to your outline, you may have it. There's a challenge. Then there's the one. And then finally, there is the conclusion. And Mark does us a lot of favors, especially to the teacher, because he begins in verse 28, giving us the context of what it is that we're dealing with. And so as we read in verse 28, we see Mark captures, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Mark gives us three pieces of key information in this one verse in verse 28. He gives us the setting, he gives us the key players or the audience perhaps, and he also gives us the challenge. You see, the setting shows us that there was a dispute happening amongst the scribes. They were disputing different things, and this whole chapter actually is kind of like a a theological dispute where you've got the Pharisees disputing against should should we pay taxes. Then You have these Sadducees who come on later on and start to discuss the resurrection. And then now we have the scribes who have challenged Jesus with what is the greatest commandment of all time. It's almost like they're having a theological royal rumble. And so the Pharisees tag in the Sadducees and the Sadducees take a loss and they tag in the scribes. They're taking turns on asking Jesus these hard questions that honestly none of them really know the answer to, but they recognize that Jesus is a teacher who has answered wisely. And so the scribes come to him and they approach him with this question, which is the greatest commandment of all? You see, the scribes were a unique group amongst the religious leaders and the Jewish leaders of their day. They were the experts in the law. They were the scholars. They were the teachers. They were Known to the common people as those who you go to should you have a question that you need answers to. They knew the Old Testament or what we would consider the Old Testament, which to them was the Hebrew Bible by nature. And throughout Mark's letter, we find a couple of them popping up usually in defiance to Jesus. But there's one individual who is unique. There's one of them who didn't think like the others, perhaps. He didn't follow along with the group think. He was what we would call perhaps a free thinker or an independent thinker. 
And one of these scribes is the one that actually approached Jesus with this question. One of the scribes. This was a person who was a serious student of the law. This was a person who had studied scripture from his birth. This is a person who took seriously the teachings of the Torah. And so he asked Jesus this question. We see in scripture there are a couple of instances where one individual scribe stands out amongst the others. Probably the most popular is Nicodemus. We see recorded in Matthew chapters 8 and Matthew chapter 13 where there was a different scribe amongst the others. So there's this large population of scholars, most of them in defiance to Jesus, but there on occasions were one who would come forward and who would ask Jesus questions. And it's important for us to understand the key players because typically we see them as having an agenda. Their agenda seems to try to disprove Jesus' teachings or try to maybe make him look bad in the public's eye. But this wasn't this scribe's intent. He really wanted to know what Jesus thought about this particular situation or this particular question. This scribe is also unique because as the other scribes were arguing, he was back watching. The text tells us that they were arguing amongst each other. It's likely that the scribes were fighting. Some believed that Jesus was a rabbi or perhaps even a prophet. Others thought he was a lunatic, thought he was crazy. And so they're arguing amongst each other, trying to figure out who exactly this man is. And then one of the scribes approached him. The text says, seeing that Jesus answered correctly. The scribe approached him. He was observant. Something else that's interesting is that our English says uh, seeing that Jesus' responses were accurate according to the scribe. It's different. It's, It's a lot deeper than just to see someone. It's perceiving. It's knowing. It's acknowledging that Jesus answered correctly. You see, the scribe was observant. He was an independent thinker. And he perceived that Jesus was not crazy. He perceived that Jesus was answering his questions accurately. And so then he says, well, I have a question, which gives us the challenge. He approaches Jesus and he asks him, which commandment is the most important of all? This question was highly debated over the centuries amongst the scribes and the religious scholars. There were over 613 commandments. So, of course, there was discussion on, well, which one is the one that matters the most? Because it's impossible to keep all 613. Which are the ones that matter most? Or which is the greatest commandment? The scribe knew the answer to this question. There was one right answer to this question. And so the scribe, knowing the answer, seeking the truth, decided to ask Jesus what he thought. Almost testing Jesus, but I would like to say giving Jesus an opportunity to speak truth and for others to acknowledge that this man was truly something special. His response was telling 
And there was only one way by which he could respond. According to Matthew 22, verse 40, when Jesus answered this question, we have an additional note which says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so the scribes waited for Jesus' response. It's interesting also that the scribe wasn't the only one perceiving in this situation. You see, Jesus also had an opportunity to perceive the scribe. He knew the intent of the scribe's heart. He knew the answer, which the scribe thought was the right response. And we see Jesus answering just like that. We continue reading in verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. There was one answer that could have been the perfect answer, and this was it. There was no debate. For example, if I were to ask you, who's got the best donuts out there? It's obviously Krispy Kreme, but some of you may disagree. If I were to ask you, who's got the best fried chicken out there? It's probably Royal Farms, but some of you would disagree, which is weird that a gas station has fried chicken and it's actually good. The best coffee shop in town, 54 Beans, of course. These are things that we debate, but there was no debate to this answer. What if I asked you who was your mother? Or what if I asked you who was the love of your life? What if I asked you what causes the sun to rise and set? There is one answer to this question, and Jesus responds in the only way possible, by reciting the Shema. The Shema was a prayer in the Jewish culture, which was like the air to which they breathe. It was taught to them from the youngest age. It's hard to explain or try to connect or compare perhaps the Shema to something that we as Christians would do. Maybe the Lord's prayer, but it's not quite as strong and as as significant as the Shema was to the Jewish people. The Shema was the prayer that was the inclusive, total essence of who they were and who God was to them. To recite it was art, it was poetry. And so what I've done is I've asked a brother to come forward this morning who is a member of our church. He grew up as an Orthodox Jew. And he's since come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he is going to recite to us the Shema in the words that Jesus would have said as the scribes would have heard it. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echod.
it was more than just words. It was a prayer. It was a song. It was a declaration. Jesus' response would have went directly to the heart of the scribe. It would have brought him back to his childhood. It would have immediately caused all the scribes to stop arguing. It would have brought their focus in on God, who is one. The Shema is quoted from verses 4 through 5. It begins with which is, it doesn't do the word justice. Shema means a spectrum of things. Here's one word. Listen, obey, understand, perhaps. You see, Shema means to listen, but more importantly, to do what you hear. For example, this happened just this weekend. I tell the kids, hey, go clean up your room. I come back, an hour later, guess what? Ain't nothing done. I say, hey, did y'all not hear me say, go clean up your room? We heard you, Dad. But if they heard me, what? They would have done it. Shema means hear, but obey through hearing. It's different than just hearing. We have to understand there's a connection between obedience and hearing. So when they say hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And we are to love him with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. It is to put words into action. It's not simply listening. It's to take God as who he is and then move based off of who he is. Because if he is one, then what should that cause us to do? To worship him and him alone. He is alone God. O Israel, they are his people. And friends, if we are God's people, then we are his elect. If you've chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this message is for you. The Lord, our God, is one. So we must love him with all of our heart. That means with everything emotionally that we have, with all of our mind, with all of our understanding, with all of your comprehension, your cognitive neural ability. I can't even put into words how much we are to love God with all of our strength. That means every fiber that you have within you should love God, not just in, in a passive love, but in an actual life that continues to move in response to God being one. One also means that he's not just one alone, but he is one. He is chief. You see, the Shema encompassed a theology, but a relationship. It's hard for us to fathom exactly how deep this was to the hearer. Here, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. And so after Jesus explains to them 
or not really explains, but he gives the answer, the Shema. He continues with what I would consider maybe a bonus answer. In verse 31, we see the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We hear this and we know that it's the golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see it plastered on billboards. You see some people get it tattooed on them and stuff. That's weird. You see it um, on bookmarks. It's probably the most popular, most common, most known, not just in the church, but in society, Bible passage. Love your neighbor as yourself. Y'all hear it all the time, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, though. If we, um, if we put this into context, right, because is that we should, what, first love who? God. And the second is others. Okay, so here, help me out. How can I love this brother right here if I am not first loving God? But what we hear in society is typically what? Love others as you love yourselves, right? But wait a minute. Are we missing an important ingredient in our ability to love others if we first don't possess the love of God? And we can't possess the love of God unless we first acknowledge that he is one, that he is God. So we can go around all we want, friends, with the golden rule. But there needs to be the greatest commandment before the golden rule in order for us to execute the golden rule. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? The world thinks they know how to do this best. They think they've figured out how to love as, as we love each other or whatever. They have no idea. Friends, we, the church, God's chosen people must demonstrate this love to them. The greatest commandment and the second are two ideas that represent the two tablets of the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. There were the first five commandments and then there was the second five commandments. The first five commandments are going to reflect from the greatest commandment. It speaks to our relationship with God. The second five commandments speak to our relationship with each other. So Jesus summarized these ten commandments into two. And according to Matthew, we know that all others represent these. On, the, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, according to Matthew 22, verse 40. These two commandments represent the greatest, our love for God, and the second, which is our love for each other. One more thing that's kind of interesting is, at least to me, and maybe you'll agree, as our brother came forward and he recited the Shema, he made a, he made a prayer, perhaps, or he made it known his position on how he sees God. But think for a second, when Jesus 
recites the Shema. What is he saying? If Jesus says, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one, well, who is he talking about? When Jesus responds to the scribe and he looks him in his eye and he says, brother, the Lord, our God, is one. He's making a declaration. He's saying that I am God and I love you and I need you to love me with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love others as you love yourselves. Jesus is declaring that he and God the Father are one and that if you simply put your trust in him, you will have the ability to do all these things. There is nothing, friends, that we can do of ourselves without the love of God in us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Jesus came to fulfill the law, friends. All this talk of no need for an Old Testament or no need to follow the Ten Commandments is ridiculous. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that he came not to abolish the law and the prophets. The natural intended order was that we love God and that we love each other. And Christ came making this declaration that we should do just that. In verse 32, we read, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe affirmed the Shema. He affirmed Jesus' response by saying the exact same thing. He responded with the Shema. But there's one key information or key bit of information that he added on the end. He said that to follow the greatest commandment and the second was way more important than any burnt offerings, than any sacrifice that anyone could render. This scribe, this wise scribe was not saying anything new. He was agreeing with Jesus. 
At least a hundred times we read in the Old Testament that to be obedient to God is way more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. In 1 Samuel 15, we see Samuel get rebuked by God. Excuse me, not Samuel, Saul get rebuked by God. Because Saul took it upon himself to do what? To burn a sacrifice and to try to call on God to get God's favor without the priest. And so Saul was out of pocket. He disobeyed Samuel and figured that he would make it up by doing a burnt offering or performing a sacrifice. And he was rebuked. In Psalm 40, verse 6, we read, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Again, it's this idea of listening is way more important than anything that we could give or anything that we can offer. Obedience and submission, acknowledging that God is one and that we are to love our neighbors is way more important than the sacrifices and the offerings. If you've been listening to Pastor Brian, Ryan, we know that Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time. We know that this is the last week of his life on earth. It is the Passover. Let us think for a second. They're celebrating or getting ready to celebrate in a few days the Passover feast. The greatest festival in Jewish festivals. It is the most important festival of the year, the Passover. It is to commemorate the moment where the Egyptians were slaughtered and God's people were spared because the lamb's blood was plastered above their door. Therefore, now they celebrate the Passover by giving a sacrifice. Are y'all with me? Their focus was the Passover sacrifice. While the lamb is in Jerusalem trying to tell them God is one. We are to follow him and to love each other. Yet what they missed was the most important. And they chose the sacrifice. They chose to elevate the offering above relationship with God. Above relationship with each other. They did stuff, thinking that that would cause them to be made righteous in the eyes of God. Do you understand? And Jesus is making this declaration to them. And the scribe is listening. I agree, teacher. Did you catch that? He refers to Jesus as a teacher. Friends, they missed the whole point. He was literally in their face, under their nose. And we know this because in a few days, they would call for him to be crucified. Let us not, brothers and sisters, let us not miss the point. Why are you here? Do you volunteer in the nursery? Do you serve and lead in a small group? Do you 
open the door? Do you hand out flyers and so forth? Do you sing? Do you, why are you here? Think about this for a second. If you, and it takes a lot of us because y'all are all beautiful. It takes you a lot of time to get ready in the morning, clearly, right? Well, hold on, that may sound bad. Um, let me correct, <laughs> let me fix that. <laughs> because y'all look so good. That's what I'm saying. You can tell how much time, Brother Steve, help me out, because I'm sinking. Nope. <laughs> y'all look good. You work hard to get yourselves together. You get dressed, you put your clothes out for the children, you bathe them, whatever. You leave your house, you get into your vehicle, you gas up your vehicle, you travel all the way down the road, you pull up to Nazareth River, you park your car, you're getting wet because it's raining, you get out your car, you walk through the parking lot, you get to the door and you stop. You never actually enter the building. You never actually enter the building. Verse 34 reads, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him questions. Friends, not far from the kingdom of God is not the same as being in the kingdom of God. If you've come all the way up here, and you're not here for the Lord, you've gone through all what you went through, and you're listening and watching or whatever, and if you're not here for Jesus, friends, I'm telling you, it means not for nothing. Christ is the one whom we praise. We recognize because of what he's done in our lives, because of what he's done in the world to rid sin, to address the issues that we had back in Genesis 3, to ultimately come back and save us from this world, that he is one and that he is our God and we will follow him. And by following him, that means that we will love radically. The only way that we can love radically is to understand the radical nature of Jesus' love for us. The same people who he's trying to get their attention and saying, hey, I'm here. This Passover thing is cool. But oh, by the way, I'm the lamb. Love me. Love everybody else. They're like, nah, whatever. We're going to crucify those same folks as he stood on a cross and he bled he asked God the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is radical love, to love your murderers and pray for them as they are slaying you. Love is not simply building a ramp for somebody that needs a wheelchair. That's cool. That's great. We need to do those things. Those are important. But the why, friends, matters. And if you've come all the way up here this morning and you think this is just some ritual that we're celebrating, you've missed the point. I beckon to you today, don't be like this scribe who was wise and knowledgeable. He even perceived that Jesus was right. He came so close and he missed it. He missed it. Friends, don't miss it. I've heard it said that close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. 
don't count with Jesus. It just don't. So what, Jay? So what? So what? I hear you up there dissing me for going to Sunday school and opening the door for folks and this and that. Friends, I'm not here to discourage anyone. I'm here to encourage you to continue to love and serve. But if you don't know Jesus, then you're missing the point. If we go back to the beginning, we know that God's natural order was forced to love him and to love each other. And at some point, sin entered the garden and made it difficult for us to do that. As a matter of fact, it may be said that it's more easy for us to hate each other, if you look at the news, than to love each other. Friends, Christ gave his life that we can be forgiven of our sins. I don't care, he don't care what you've done in the past. None of it matters. Today, begin a relationship with Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he will forgive you. And he will change your life. If you know Jesus and you call yourself one of his followers, then we are to take these commandments and run with them. We are to love radically. The world right now is losing their minds. They're worried about balloons and whatever else. Losing their minds. Friends, we as God's people must love radically. Now is the time. Now is the opportunity for us to love ridiculously. Let them see God's love in our lives so that they may want to know, hey, brother, why are you smiling? What is it about you as you go through your cancer treatments that makes you smile and have hope? Because you know that there is a tomorrow where we are free of cancer. We are free of sin. We're free of balloons. (laughs) We will reign eternally in heaven with Jesus. Friends, let us love radically. My points of application are simply put your trust in Jesus and love radically. For that is all he's called us to do. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I will ask you to consider doing so right now. You want to pray a prayer. And if you're watching online or if you're here with us, if you are close, friend, that ain't it. Ain't going to get you nowhere. You can look nice and smell good, but folks, that ain't going to get you into heaven. It's only by relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us your example of what it means to love you and to love each other. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to follow you. We accept you as our Lord and Savior. You alone are God. And may we submit our entire lives to you. May we completely 
and without reservation accept you as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this morning that you're still on the throne and that the tomb is still empty. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Brian, please lead us in worship.